Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. The first Sunday in Advent is a great season for Christians who find our faith to be wobbly from time to time, uh, and also a great season for not-yet-Christians to learn that the Christian hope is really rooted in the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus, uh, and not the quality of our daily faith, which can ebb and flow. And so uh, with that in mind, I would invite you just to think for yourselves quietly, uh, where is it in your life uh, where you find your faith prone to wobble or maybe even come uh, this morning with questions or doubts or wonder? And what would it take for the Lord to encourage you and strengthen you. I just want you to think about uh, where it might be in your life where you have that question right now uh, and just to tuck it away as we come to uh, this passage together. So Advent, the four weeks of Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas Day are an annual reminder to us that God makes promises, that God keeps promises in His way, in His time, according to his word. And this is of great hope for us because we are people who are waiting. Advent finds us in kind of this middle place where we're looking backwards in history uh, to God's keeping of promises in the first coming of the Lord. But we are also looking forward. Uh, We're anticipating the second coming of the Lord. And this is helpful for us. Advent uh, is a word that simply means coming. And so we're preparing to celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus in his birth. Uh, But Advent is not a kind of a four-week series of mini Christmases. Uh, Advent is not quite Christmas yet. Now, this is not at all to be curmudgeonly about the holiday. Uh, I, you know, encourage the season, enjoy the the get-togethers and the parties and, and all that is good in it. But the lesson of Advent for Christians uh, is to be active, hopeful waiters, that we wait hopefully. And this is hard for us because as I was praying earlier and thinking about it, you know, we're uh, Americans, we live in an instant gratification culture. uh, And the the faster that our communication technology gets, uh, the more instant uh, we expect things to uh, to happen. We, uh, We can order you could order something during church online and it could be ready for you. And I'm not encouraging that you do that. I mean, you have all tomorrow for Cyber Monday, but, uh, but you could have things waiting for you at home. Uh, we are so accustomed to being gratified instantly. And sometimes Christian faith gets wobbly because we are, we are people who wait. Um, there are blessings now, of course, that God brings to us blessings uh, in daily life. We've commemorated those and given thanks for those uh, at the Thanksgiving holiday. We're grateful for his daily provision. We're grateful for those instances in the course of life uh, where he brings special seasons and occasions for joy. Uh, But a lot of the Christian life is about waiting. And uh, and maybe you could call to mind um, 
a blessing that is yours in Jesus. I'm trying to be a little bit more specific than that, uh, but that you've begun to experience now, but you look forward to experiencing more fully in the future. For instance, uh, God brings you to faith. You believe in Jesus. You learn that you're forgiven. You are completely forgiven. But we also look forward to that final day verdict where we hear uh, the announcement of not guilty uh, pronounced over us. Or you, you understand that by grace you've been adopted into the family of heaven. Uh, you understand that you are a child of God, but you look forward to that final day when the king returns and you are with all of the family all together. Or you understand that God is in the process of making you holy, of more and more conforming you to Christ, but you look forward to the, the final day completion of his project. We are people who are living in between. And the same thing would apply to the thing that I called, I asked you to call to mind, that area where your faith might be wobbly and, and you're waiting for God to perhaps answer a prayer. You're waiting for God perhaps to reconcile a relationship. You're waiting to see how God will work in a loved one's life. It might be for yourself. You're waiting to see how God is going to resolve a health question or a faith question or some other struggle in your life. You're waiting. How, do we, how can we mature as active waiters? And this question about maturing brings us to Zechariah and to Luke 1 and to a man and a woman who spent a life waiting, specifically waiting for God to work in history to save his people. And then in this spectacular and single, singular event that Tom just read for us, God meets Zechariah in his waiting. And in that moment of waiting, Zechariah's faith wobbled. It's really remarkable. Uh, I, I often think of the, the story of Zechariah when people uh, will say to me, as maybe they say, I, I just wish I had a sign. I just wish, you know, an angel would show up and tell me something. Like, well, you know, oftentimes when the angels show up in the Bible, people get freaked out. And, and, and this is a, this is an instance of that. So what lessons does God have for us to mature as people who are waiting for Christ's kingdom to come in all of its fullness? Well, let's go through the story again, faithful waiting and wobbly faith, and see what lessons we can learn or relearn. We meet Zechariah waiting for God to work during a difficult moment in history for God's people. Uh, verse 5 of Luke 1 sets the historical stage for us. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. And if the passage had a soundtrack, I think there would be a, a minor chord struck at this point uh, because Herod, we remember him as Herod the Great. Herod the Great was not great. Uh, he was a Roman appointee. Uh, he was not Jewish, which was a problem for God's people, that the one who was ruling over Israel on behalf of Rome was not Jewish. Uh, and he was called Herod the Great, but not because he was awesome. He was the opposite of awesome. History reports uh, that he was great at being manipulative. He was great at being cruel. He was a megalomaniac. Uh, and we'll actually meet Herod later on in Advent. We'll come to consider how 
the life of Herod and, and his role in Advent has lessons for us as well. So, so this is a, a rough moment in history for God's people, uh, and Zechariah is one of God's people who is waiting for God to work. There's a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zechariah is a priest, and he's married to Elizabeth, who is descended from Israel's first great priest, Aaron, uh, brother of Moses. So they have a great religious lineage, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Now, Luke doesn't mean that they were perfect, uh, but he means that they had a reputation of spiritual integrity, uh, that there was no scandal attached to their name. And this matters because in verse 7, we learn that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And in that moment in time, the, the sadness of infertility could be compounded by the interpretation that some manner of blame uh, could be attributed to a husband or a wife as the cause uh, for their challenge. And so Luke assures us that uh, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this was not the case. Moreover, this real kind of marriage-long sadness of infertility did not promote a rebellious disobedience. Uh, they'd followed the Lord before their disappointment. They followed the Lord month after month, year after year uh, during their disappointment. And they followed the Lord after hope seemed to be lost. These are good people. These are good people. In verse 8 and 9, God elevates Zechariah to the pinnacle of his career. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this is the pinnacle moment that could happen to a priest. This is as high as he could go in the clergy experience of the day. Uh, being chosen by lot was, uh, in keeping with the Old Testament custom, a, a way of uh, interpreting that God had chosen Zechariah for this duty. This was such a privilege to go in and offer this prayer uh, that many priests would never be chosen for this. Just statistically, it wasn't likely that you would be chosen. Uh, and once you were chosen, you could never be reselected. Uh, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And you can only imagine how Zechariah's heart must have been pounding when the opportunity for evening prayer came. I mean, this was his moment, and he was going to go places in the temple uh, which he had only heard about. He'd only heard about. He would pass through uh, the court of the Gentiles, which was built for non-Jewish people to worship, and then he would pass through the court for uh, the Israelite women, and then he would go through a gate to a courtyard where only priests could enter. And then he would go into the holy place of the temple and he would see things that he had only 
heard about. He'd, he'd see the lampstand, you know, the, the menorah, right? He'd, he'd see the lampstand. He'd see the table with the ceremonial bread on it. He'd see the, the giant curtain that marked off the holy place from the most holy place. And he wasn't even going into the most holy place. He was just staying uh, in this inner room and he'd see where he was to go to the altar of incense and to pray. And he would have heard from the outside, the whole multitude of people who were praying outside at the hour of incense. So that, at the pinnacle of his career, in a, a spiritually intense moment, in this sacred place, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And in words which read like understatement, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and he shall call his name John. So the angel seeks to put Zechariah at ease. He comes with good news, not bad news. Zachariah's prayer has been heard. Now, this is interesting. You might wonder, can we know what Zechariah prayed for? I mean, we, we can't know whether he prayed in that moment uh, for a child. We trust that he and Elizabeth had prayed previously for a child. But we do know from uh, understanding what the, the kind of the, the prayers were to be over the course of the day, that the evening prayer included praying for God to redeem the nation, for God to work in history. And you can think about how many others had preceded Zechariah in that moment, day after day, month after month, year after year, uh, decade after decade, century after century, uh, now some, you know, 400 plus years since the last prophet had spoken Malachi in the Old Testament, now down to this day, kind of 400 years worth of evening prayers, praying for God to work. And now in the moment, the angel shows up and says, God has heard your prayer. What an, what an amazing announcement this must have been that God was going to answer Zechariah's prayer for God to work in history to save God's people, to end the waiting for the Savior. And he was going to do it by giving Zechariah and Elizabeth the son that they had waited for and had given up waiting for. And you, the angel says to Zechariah, will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Gabriel is quoting the Old Testament to Zechariah. He's building on promises that the Lord had made that at the right moment in history, God would come and save his people. In Malachi chapter 4, God through the prophet said, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, 
or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Some centuries before, God through Malachi had made this promise. And surely Zechariah and the other priests and the people would have contemplated and wondered, when is this going to happen? What would it be like if this messenger would come and prepare the people for coming to the Lord? And God sends the angel to tell Zechariah that, that now this is happening, all that he had, had contemplated, all that he had prayed for, all that he had hoped for, here in the, the pinnacle moment of his career, Zechariah blinks. His faith wobbles. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Wobbly faith. Wobbly faith. I asked, uh, I asked some of the staff team on Tuesday last week at our meeting how, how they read Zachariah's wobbly faith. How, how did it strike them? It's interesting that so, there's a, a diversity of responses among the commentators. Uh, some of the commentators are very critical of Zechariah. Here's one commentator who says uh, this. We see in this passage the power of unbelief in a good man. Righteous and holy as Zechariah was, the announcement of the angel appears to him incredible. No doubt he was well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. He ought to have remembered the wonderful births of Isaac and Samson and Samuel in old times. He ought to have remembered that what God had done once, he can do again, and with him nothing was impossible. But he forgot all of this. He thought of nothing but the arguments of human reason and sense. There's a lot of oughts in that quote. We're, we're, we're good at that, aren't we? We're, we're good at pointing out what other people should do. But whose faith has never wobbled when it ought to have been strong? Which of us could say that, that we've never done what we ought not to have done? Or that we've done what we ought not to have done? Some of the commentators are more pastoral. It will sometimes happen that one who trusts in God for the pardon of his sin and for salvation will waver on some point, will be too much alarmed by the dread of death, too solicitous about daily food, or too anxious about his plans. Such was the unbelief of Zechariah, for while he held the root and foundations of faith, he hesitated only on one point, end quote. I, I can't Monday morning quarterback Zechariah. I've never encountered an angel who announced himself to me as an angel. Sometimes the, the common unrelenting trials of life are enough for my faith to wobble. So how do I mature as one who waits? How do I mature as one whose faith can wobble? Well, Gabriel offers Zechariah three lessons that help us. First, when our faith wobbles, we need to be brought back to God's perspective and to what he sees. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Now just think about this. This, uh, this conversation takes place in the temple. This conversation takes place at the altar. Uh, the temple is an earthly copy of the heavenly temple. 
And it was, I went back and I, I read through some of the descriptions of the temple in the Old Testament. There were images of cherubim all over the inside of the temple. All over the inside of the, of the Jerusalem temple, there were pictures of angels uh, representing the heavenly reality where God is, you know, surrounded by angels, worshiped by angels. And now here there is in the earthly copy of the heavenly reality, uh, an actual angel who says, I, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. In other words, Zechariah, I want you to consider not your vantage point, but I want you to consider my vantage point. I want you to consider reality from the perspective that I see it. That Gabriel is showing us whose vantage point we need to trust when it comes to living with certainty. Our experiences, our performance, our hurts, our disappointments, our doubts, all of these need to be right-sized by God's perspective. Advent does that for us. But we come to this season each year. And we need right-sized, kind of right-placed by God's perspective. I was, I was, I mean, I was whining a little bit to Paul in that, like, this is my 20th Advent preaching. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Five years I had non-preaching roles. And so I've got 20 Advent series. I've, I've preached 15 of them here. Paul's like, well, what are you going to preach this year on Advent? I'm like, I don't know probably Advent things. <laughs> but but that's, kind of the, that's kind of the point. The, 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 the point is we need to hear the same truth year after year because during the other 48 weeks of the year, life happens and we get distracted and we lose perspective and we get caught up in the, the moments of our life and in the moments of, of history that we live in and we need reminded of God's perspective that he has worked in history, that he did send his son, and that he is sending his son back. It's interesting, if my Bible memory serves me right, Gabriel's also the angel who showed up to Daniel when Daniel was in exile in Babylon. Do I have that right? And I'm doing this part from the cuff, that, that, that Daniel is in exile in Babylon and, and Gabriel shows up and talks to him. At least an angel shows up and talks to him. And maybe, maybe at that moment, Gabriel wants Zechariah to remember that, that hundreds of years earlier, God's people were going through a hard time. And God sent a messenger to tell them about a future and now he was doing it again some centuries later. And we need reminded year by year, decade by decade, that God is working in history from his perspective in his time, which means, secondly, that when our faith wobbles, we need God's word. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my word. So Zechariah's wobbly faith isn't commendable. He is disciplined. The angel does expect that the word is to be believed when the word is shared. And he does remind Zechariah and us about how much wobbly faith does need God's word. It is in uh, throughout Luke's gospel, uh, which we studied some years ago, 
that Luke highlights the importance of hearing and believing God's word. That Christian certainty uh, is rooted uh, in the object of our faith, not the, not the performance of our faith, but that the object of our faith, as he's represented to us in the word. And, and I was reminded of the parable that Luke reports for us in chapter 8, where Jesus talks about the importance of hearing God's word. Let me just read it for you. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus explained the parable. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who've heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We need the word to strengthen us. Uh, the, the testing that Jesus talks about in the parable cares equal anxieties. Faith wobbles in the, faith, in the face of anxiety. Faith wobbles in the face of luxury and in the face of the pleasures of life. What strengthens wobbly faith? We hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Advent disciples us to wait and to trust the word. It teaches us patience. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will return. We believe and we hold fast. And this promotes patience. And then finally, wobbly faith needs recalibrated to God's timing. This is what uh, Gabriel tells Zechariah. God is reliable to keep his word at exactly the right time. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. For Zechariah, God's words would start to be fulfilled in 10 months or so when John the Baptist is born. But the lesson of God's timing is for us as we not only look backwards, but as we look forward, as we wait the next coming of the king, the final coming of the king, that God strengthens wobbly faith by reminding us of his perspective, his word, his timing. And uh, though we might, in, in the words of the, the second commentator, be perplexed or disturbed by weaknesses on some particular occasion, we do not entirely depart or fall from the faith. And that though the branches of faith are agitated by various tempests, it does not give way to the root. I think that's how I look at Zechariah, that his faith was agitated it was stirred, he doubted, but not to the root, that he wobbled. But the angel brought him back to God's perspective, replanted him on the word, gave him perspective on God's timing. And this is what we need as well. That we're pointed ultimately, as Zechariah is pointed, not to 
the performance of his own faith, but to the object of his faith, which is the Lord, the Lord of the word. So important for us because we are so inclined to measure ourselves by our own performance. But what we need to do is to keep being recalibrated uh, to the object of our faith, to the God who makes and who keeps promises. When the people were waiting for Zechariah, they were wondering at his delay in the temple. It would be worrisome that he wasn't in and out quickly. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of service was ended, he went to his home. And we'll pick up the story next week as we come back, Lord willing, to Elizabeth. But for those of us who think and contemplate where our faith is prone to wobble, God's perspective, God's word, God's timing. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.